Hello and welcome to part two of the Star Wars Countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm Scott Harvey and I'm joined by my co-hosts for this series, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Guys, today we will be continuing our journey through the Star Wars galaxy with 2002's Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. Set 10 years after the events of The Phantom Menace, Attack of the, Clo Attack of the Clones picks up with the Republic facing a new threat. The Separatist movement, led by former Jedi turned Sith Lord, Count Dooku, played by Christopher Lee. When Natalie Portman's Queen Amidala is again targeted, her old friend Anakin Skywalker, now a Jedi apprentice and played by Hayden Christensen, is ordered to protect the Queen on a distant part of Naboo, a task that proves difficult as Anakin grapples with his romantic feelings for her, as well as demons from his troubled past. Meanwhile, Anakin's master Obi-Wan Kenobi, played again by Ewan McGregor, travels to the mysterious planet of Kamino in order to investigate Tamara Morrison's Jango Fett, a bounty hunter who may be linked to the attacks on Padme's life. Now, as we discussed in the first episode, Jay had never seen a Star Wars movie prior to seeing Phantom Menace for the podcast last time. Uh, so this is his first experience with Attack of the Clones. So Scott, I'll go to you first. Before we get into this review, I want to ask what you remember about it, if anything, about your past experiences with this movie. Okay, so I guess to start with the positive and, and what I remember about this movie before watching is that I remember Yoda, like you get a lightsaber fight with Yoda, which is awesome. Still think that that holds up as one of the best parts of the movie. This little mini lightsaber to, to fit his mini stature. And then he just kind of bounces around, which I just think is such a cool concept, obviously. Well, not obviously, but th that's just something that was different and, and unexpected in a way that I think probably a lot of Star Wars fans hoped that they would get something like that in the prequel trilogy when it came back. But the fact that they got it was really cool. I think that the clone arm, obviously the clone army and the scenes on Kamino and, and that whole plot line is one that sticks out. Um, Obi-Wan continu continuing to be, you know, Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan continued to be really strong uh, part of the series. Those, those are the things that I remember the most on the positive side. And then, of course, I, I have not so fond memories of, of how laughably bad Hayden Christensen uh, is in the movie. I think that I'm a little bit different. I have a little bit different opinion about that now, uh, at least about its laughability of it being bad. But for me, it was mostly, it was more positive than negative in my memories. Like I didn't expect to necessarily like it more. I, I, well, okay, I'll back up. I'll say, I remember this probably being my least favorite of the Star Wars movies for the variety of reasons, but you know, a lot of it being because it's like solid, solidly average and weighed down by a couple of particularly negative things. Uh, so I think that that mostly held up, but that that's, probably the large part of the memories that I had coming in and the bias I may have had coming into the film. Yeah. You know, Scott, we talked about last time how I remember that I did see the Phantom Menace in theaters, but I don't really remember anything about that experience. So really Attack of the Clones is kind of the first movie that I really distinctly remember seeing in theaters. Um, my dad took me to see it after school one day. I still remember that. Um, and I, I mean, of course I was seven years old at the time, so I did really enjoy the film and, you know, I was surprised at watching it again uh, at this time after not having seen it in several years, how familiar a lot of the movie still felt to me, yeah. uh, probably because I watched it so many times uh, in the wake of it coming out, you know, when I was a kid and everything. Uh, but it definitely, of course, has lost luster over the years for me uh, in terms of where it is regarded, um, at least for me on the Star Wars spectrum uh, in terms of my favorites. Um, but still going into this movie, I was trying to be optimistic because it had been so long since I've seen the movie. And I thought, you know, maybe 
reading the internet, reading reviews, you know, learning how this movie is generally regarded um, has sort of tainted my memories of, you know, this movie. And maybe I'm going to find, or I was hopeful that I would find in watching it, um, that it was not quite uh, as, as bad as everyone says, or as bad as I remembered uh, certain parts of it being. Um, and we'll let the suspense hang there for a, uh, for a few more minutes uh, while we get into our general impressions of the movie. And Jay, we'll start with you. Uh, what is What are your high-level thoughts on Star Wars Attack of the Clones, your first viewing of this movie? You know, I... I think I enjoyed it. You know, I mean, I, I, I feel somewhat tarnished by your lead into all this, but between the both of you, so I'm going to try to back up from that a little bit. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. Let's start simple. Um, there were definitely some, you know, parts of it. I mean, certainly the Anakin was an incredibly annoying character to me, but I definitely, you know, liked exploring the world a little bit more and kind of seeing the tension build up from what I saw in the last movie. You know, I didn't quite get all the things I asked for uh, when we talked about this last time going into this viewing. But, you know, I got a little bit more world exploration. I kind of, you know, got to see things on the political spectrum, like progress, you know, a little bit more. And, you know, Anakin is clearly headed down, you know, a bit of a dark path. And like, you know, those parts were kind of cool to see, but there were definitely some moments where I'm also just, when when you joke about, you know, you see someone like going down to the dark basement in a horror movie and you want to scream at the TV, like, don't go in there. Like, I feel like I had so many moments like that with this movie where I'm like, why would anyone in their right mind do this or stay here? The, the thing about the Star Wars films is that they all have good moments, right? I mean, e- which is something that not a lot of series can say. Even the weak, you know, even the weakest movies in the Star Wars franchise have their worthwhile moments. And I think, you know, obviously we'll get into some of those. But Attack of the Clones, even though it may be my least favorite Star Wars movie, it, it definitely has worthwhile moments. Um you know, I, I won't dispute that. And, and you know, you t- we talked about last time how The Phantom Menace, a lot of it felt like set up for stuff that was going to come in the future. And I think, you know, sort of alluding to one of your points, Jay, I, I do think that they follow through on some of that uh, in this movie. So I think that is also a strength of the movie. So, yeah, I, I definitely understand uh, your comments there. But Scott, let's go to you now. What uh, what are your general thoughts on this movie? Yes, I, I think to the point about enjoying it, I think I did enjoy it. There, obviously, I didn't enjoy this as much as the Phantom Menace, and uh, there are specific moments that I grew very weary of. But to your point exactly, I think that there are some outstanding moments. I mean, I would even argue some like there the last forty five minutes. I think is spectacular. Everything on Mustafar, not Mustafar, sorry, Genosis. Uh, going forward, I think after they're all there together and you have the arena fight and then the final battle, chasing Dooku across, having the lightsaber duel, then having Yoda and all that, I think that is actually awesome. I think it was really great. It was a really great ending and finale to a movie where a lot of the time it does feel plotting. It feels like, you know, George Lucas wrote a first pass at a script and then just refused to let anyone edit it probably and not update the story details at all because a lot of it, not even a lot of not, not necessarily a lot, but some of it just doesn't quite make too much sense. And I mean, we were joking off air right before this that, you know, having Padme when she leaves <laughs> Coruscant leave, uh, leave Jar Jar in charge of her role as a senator is absolutely inane. <laughs> and, I, and I think we would all stay, stand by that. But I also think that there are some quite nice moments, um, particularly in the Obi-Wan a plot thread through the movie before they, it all converges at the end. Like I mentioned, I think the exploration of Camino, 
the the things that you learn. You know, Jay, you talked about lore and world building. I think that Camino is is a really excellent example of that. I think that these you know these aliens or these creatures that you meet on Camino who are these clone manufacturers are I think a really interesting species. And I think that the narrative uh, going on with Django Fett and of course Boba Fett, who's a son, and all of that, and how they are the kind of the the people who the clones are modeled off of. I think that's all super interesting. And one of the most frustrating parts of that, or I should say maybe the only frustrating part of that, is the fact that it's just so abruptly cut between all of these things that are happening with the other plot thread, which is, of course, Anakin and Padme uh, for a while on Naboo, and then they go to Tatooine and then to Geonosis. And I think that those cuts, you know, interwoven with what's going on with Kamino is really annoying because as awesome as I thought that Obi-Wan's plot thread was, I found Anakin and Padme's plot thread to be borderline insufferable like i just i that was the part of the movie that i just really felt like didn't make any sense it was really annoying and part of that is just because i don't think hayden christensen acts very well in this movie i don't know how he we'll talk more about him in a second i'm sure but i don't know how he manages to deliver every single line both flat and melodramatically at the same time it it, it actually astounds me i think that like 75 percent of his lines were delivered that way in the movie which boggles the mind but that being said i think that overall i if I look back, I say I enjoyed parts of it quite a bit, and then there were parts of it that I found extremely frustrating. I mean, yeah, the the thing about the that the editing in that Camino section is that even like the continuity of it feels weird, right? Because like we're cutting back to Anakin and Padme, but it's like different scenes of Anakin and Padme. Whereas when we go back to Camino, it's still the same sequence of of Obi Wan. So I mean, I just don't even understand like the the chronology of it. Uh, I mean, of course, George Lucas is known for his uh, weird editing techniques and using a billion wipes in every movie. Um, but here, yeah. And it was egregious in this movie. Particularly. Yeah, it feels particularly pronounced just because, you know, to your point, you are taken out of what is one of the better scenes in the movie. And, you know, this scene at Camino that we're from the beginning, you're constantly building sort of this mystery and suspense and, you know, all about what's going on here. And, you know, the fact that, the the Kaminoans think that uh, you know some Jedi is still alive who died ten years ago or whatever. There's there's this real sense of mystery about it. Uh, you're really wondering what Obi Wan is going to find, but you know you're immediately taken out of that and taken back to yeah again the the frankly awful sequences between Anakin and Padme, which were worse far worse than I remembered. I mean, and I think you know. To not bury the lead, that's probably also my my overall thoughts on the movie is that unfortunately, although I did go in optimistic, hoping it wouldn't be um, what people said and wouldn't be quite what I remembered, I think it was worse than I remembered. Um, and you know, I did en- enjoy parts of it, but like the the most enjoyable parts of the movie, right? The Camino section, like I just talked about, is just kind of uh, dampened by the editing. And then that last 35 minute, 45 minute battle, I mean, we have to watch an hour and 45 minutes of the movie before we even get there. And I, you know, and this time watching it, by the time we got there, I just felt tired. I was like, I'm, I'm bored. I just don't even really care anymore. And so there were, even though there were some good moments, I just uh, think that the movie was too stuffed with bad moments for me to really appreciate those moments when they finally came around. Uh, and, you know, I think you've hit some of the lowlights. Hayden Christensen's performance, again, an element that was much worse than I uh, did remember. Um, it's a shame because, you know, obviously Anakin's a really important character without saying too much. And this is a huge movie for Anakin, right? Like 
this is we see him you know uh, romancing padme which as insufferable as it is to watch here it's an important part of the star wars uh universe and we you know we knew we would get it at some point and it could have been presented in a not insufferable way but that didn't happen here uh, but of course we also have anakin reconcil- reconciling with his past and what's happened with his mother and there's a lot of emotions that he goes through in the movie, but none of them are convincing. And, you know, most of them. I was going to say, are, are you sure? I, I didn't really see much. I didn't really feel much emotion. Well, y- you do feel emotion, but it's just like laughably, you know, pronounced. He he really does seem like he seems more mature as a nine year old kid than he does in this movie. I mean, and that's one of the things that's frustrating, right? Because we you know, and I was saying this in my letterbox review after I watched this movie, it's just like, what happened to the endearing, like nine year old that they found yeah. on Tatooine? Because, I mean, I get it. Like, I understand that it's 10 years after he's 19 now, and obviously a completely different person. And, you know, I'll admit that in my teenage years, maybe not when I was 19, I like to think that I grew out of it before that. But, you know, in my teenage years, I probably became an insufferable little brat, but not to this extent. Like, it just seems like such a caricature of, you know, this endearing little kid that we saw in episode one that, you know, was in love with the idea of helping people and, you know, helps Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Padme get off of Tatooine out of pure selflessness and not expecting to be taken with him. And then what happens over the next decade is that he becomes a spoiled brat somehow, even though it doesn't quite make sense to me how that happened beyond the fact that he became full of himself. But even that, like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like it all connected. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, it doesn't feel convincing at all that Padme would... (laughs) be in love with this guy i mean yeah i I just don't get it i mean she's a very like composed like uh you know confident senator so for her to be uh you know falling for i mean who who is really just kind of an insolent child um and so immediately i I don't get it yeah there's like it's not drawn out at all i don't get it i guess the sand talk was really a uh a common bonding experience for them and you know the sand moment right like that gets hyped up as the most you know, awful moment of the movie and it's bad, but it's not even the worst part of like this relationship. And I mean, we'll get, we we can get into some of the more specific scenes when we talk specifics, but yeah, in general, like, I mean, I, I guess I would say I was disappointed, not because I remember the movie being particularly good, but you know, because I was hoping to, to come out of it more positive, more positively than I remembered the movie. And that wasn't the case. If anything, I came out more negatively and this is my least favorite star Wars movie. Um, you know, not not to bury the lead. Why don't we get into the standout performances now? Let's let's focus on some of the positives of the movie while we can. Um, Jay, we'll start with you. Who uh, of the of the you know checkered cast here uh, was a standout for you? Sure. I mean, I, I will definitely go ahead and give it back to Obi Wan uh, Ewan McGregor. Right? He, you know, like you said, I think had the more interesting plot line, and I kind of just like, you know, it. It has been, like you said, 10 years since the last time we saw him. And although, you know, I I don't know exactly how much growth I was anticipating to feel from his character, but I certainly feel like, you know, he's weathered the storm a little bit more since then, is a little more sure of himself. And, you know, I, I really do like the performance he puts on. I also do like seeing more of Samuel Jackson in this movie. Um, it didn't feel like there was a ton of him in the last one and not even a ton of him in this one too, but I felt like I got a little more and that was just kind of fun for me to see. Uh, I mean, I never even associated him with this franchise at all. And when he showed up in the first movie, I was like, Oh, I I guess he's in here. And you know, then we got to see him 
you know, kind of come in, fight with his purple lightsaber. It was uh, pretty cool. Scott, how about you? Standout performances? I said, no, I, I think that I generally agree with everything Jay's saying. For the sake of being different, I will pick someone else. But with Obi-Wan, I think that the promise and, you know, the delivery that you get in episode one continues straight through to here. It feels like not much has changed in terms of the strength of the performance that um, both Ewan McGregor is giving and also how fleshed out and how much justice is done to this character, you know, as a character in this universe. Whereas, you know, maybe we don't always feel that way about some of the other characters, but to be different, like I mentioned, I I will pick someone else and that's Yoda. I think the fact that, you know, obviously it's a different perspective. If you're watching the original trilogy before the prequel, we're, we're doing the prequel first, but I think that Yoda delivers in a way that he had never delivered for anyone else who'd, you know, seen, you know, for anyone who'd seen the original trilogy and, Obviously, Yoda, this very revered character, it is an important part of the Star Wars universe, like many of these characters are, to be fair. But, you know, this sort of Yoda in action was something that it's so exciting to see on screen. You you get you get the, you know, sage Yoda for the first, you know, in the first episode to the for the brief cameo that he appears while they're on Coruscant. And then here in episode two, you get more of him because there's just more time spent on Coruscant, more time uh, kind of learning about the the Jedi Order and the Council. And then at the end, you know, you get a huge payoff, I think. And so from this sense, uh, I think Yoda is a standout character. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll sound like a bit of an echo chamber, but I, I think Ewan McGregor definitely a standout here. I, I definitely like what he did with the character. I think there could have been you know, the tendency just to turn him into a, another Qui-Gon, a recycled Qui-Gon, um, you know, with him ascending to the role of Jedi Master. But I don't think he does that. I think there's a, there's a, there's a lighter touch that he brings to the performance. It's a bit more of a playful performance. You know, he, he gets some sort of cheesy jokes in there that I don't think Qui-Gon would have ever made. Um, so he, he does bring something a little bit different to the role of Obi-Wan. Uh, that that I enjoyed. Um, and, you know, I'll give a shout out as well to Christopher Lee as Count Dooku. I think, yeah, again, I don't like what this movie does with the character of Count Dooku. But they bury him so deeply into the movie. You don't even see him. I mean, he's the main antagonist and you don't even see him until like an hour and a half into the movie. But I think he he makes the most of his somewhat limited screen time here as this character. And, you know, I have to say, like, obviously they've discontinued for the time being the sort of spinoff series that they were doing with Rogue One and Solo. But if they were to ever pick it back up, I would love to see more about Count Dooku and, and maybe back to the time when he was a Jedi and training Qui-Gon. Cause we, you know, of course we learned in this movie that he was Qui-Gon's master and that Yoda trained him. Uh, and so I would, I would love some, some more about that because I feel like that's a part of this, the, uh, the star Wars story that hasn't really been explored. Live action Disney Plus TV show coming to you? Yeah, there you go. Maybe. Uh, but it wasn't really explored very well. But again, I do think Christopher Lee brings a, a very commanding presence uh, and probably ultimately definitely creates a, a, you know, a stronger character here, makes a stronger impression than uh, Darth Maul was able to do in Phantom Menace with just his one line, uh, even if he doesn't have as memorable of an action sequence, perhaps. But yeah, you know, th- those are my thoughts on the cast. Um, and so I, I, you know, although we, we've said our thoughts, I do think it's probably worth uh, spending another minute or two just talking about Hayden Christensen's performance. Um, Jay, did anything stand out about this performance to you that maybe we haven't mentioned? Or uh, do you want to maybe go to bat for, for Mr. Christensen here? No, I, I definitely would not like to go to bat for him. I, I think you guys, and I don't want to be an echo chamber here, but I, you know, certainly didn't find it very compelling, very exciting. I mean, I wasn't rooting for him. I wasn't excited to see his like, 
you know, downturn. It all just kind of seemed like, okay, you're, you're saying this to me and this is happening, but that that's about all, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get really anything out of it other than, you know, plot advancement. Yeah. I mean, the thing is the, the script is bad. Like the lines are bad that he's working with. There's no denying that. But I think because his performance is so bad, it even like accents how bad the the script is. Uh, like I think a a better actor could turn you know that script into at least something tolerable. But that's not what happens here. It's it's a perfect storm of bad acting and bad writing. And you know I, I will say you know for Hayden Christensen's sake. You should definitely go watch him in the movie Shattered Glass because it was it's a great movie. And I think he he gives a great performance in that movie and a really interesting story. But here, not so much. And, you know, it's it is kind of interesting to see that uh, after Revenge of the Sith, Hayden Christensen's um, career really tailed off and he hasn't done anything of substance in like 10 to 15 years. So it, it kind of did kill his career. Uh, I mean as I guess is always a risk when you take on a role like this in a huge franchise, you know, if, if people don't like you, they're always going to associate you with that role. And unfortunately for the guy, I'm sure, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, unfortunately though, I think that's what happened here with this character because he wasn't able to bring, uh, what was needed to, uh, these lines and this very important character in the star Wars universe. So I'm going to say, you know, I will check out shattered glass. If you promise me, he doesn't creepily say milady to someone, a single time during the movie when she's trying to turn down his advances. Milady. I mean, yeah, no, he does not because that movie is set in, in modern times. Uh, so you're safe there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the many just weird parts of this performance. I mean, I said how the, the, that the sand scene, I didn't think was the worst scene. And like, I think the scene where he like basically is like reciting a poem about, I can't breathe without you and all this. I mean, I almost wanted to put the movie on mute because it was just so bad. And I, you know, again, I don't understand how Padme falls for him. But um, Scott, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I just I don't know if I have really anything else. And I, I did say my bit a little bit earlier about how I find it incredible that he's managed. He manages to deliver so many of his lines in both simultaneously, both flat and melodramatic as if like someone has taught him to like say words with emotion, but then he just no longer knows how to like apply the right emotion to the right words. It it just, I do think that he hasn't done much justice with the script at the same time. I also think he does poorly with what he's given. And so it it just really creates a disappointing uh, performance for him. And, you know, we talked about how the dynamic between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan was so was so, well, one of the better parts of Phantom of the Phantom Menace of episode one. And I think that even, you know, to go a step further than the fact that this performance wasn't very good, I think it also just made his dynamic with two outstanding actors and that, well, one actor, one actress, you know, between he and Obi-Wan. So, you know, of course, Hayden and, and Ewan McGregor, and then he, him with Natalie Portman with Padme I and mean, two people who are outstanding actors in Hollywood and who clearly you know, at least for the most part, did quite well in the first episode. And I think, you know, we've talked about how we think that, well, at the very least, Ewan McGregor did a good job in the second episode so far. But it's just, it creates this horrible, horrible situation to me where, you know, he's just being carried by these two people in their scenes. But also at the same time, because we talked about how poor the narrative arc is for Anakin, 
because Padme's arc is so inherently tied into Anakin's, it also makes her arc awful. And I think there's just so many residual things to do with this character and this performance that are really frustrating and make this, uh, you know, wor- worse than the Phantom Menace for sure. Yeah, I mean, two final two final moments I'll point to. I think first of all, when he when he delivers the the iconic Star Wars line, right? It's in like almost every movie. Uh, I've got a bad feeling about this. I mean, it's just not a good delivery at all. I mean, that should be a great moment of every Star Wars movie, you know, and we get to hear that iconic line and, uh, you know, just the the flat delivery that he gives it there in the in the stadium arena in in Geonosis is uh, not not does not do the line justice for sure. And then w- earlier in the movie, when, when when he's been to Tatooine and the Tusken Raiders, we find out that his mo- mom has died at the hands of the Tusken Raiders and um he like is going off on this rant, which again should be an emotional scene, right? He's just lost his mother. The relationship between him and his mother was done pretty well in Phantom Menace, I think, but it's just his emotions in this scene um, are, are so hammy. And the way that he says the line, I hate them. I mean, I literally laughed out loud at my computer when I was watching it. And, and that's not what you want to see, but with that, I think we can move on uh, from what one was one of the clear lowlights of the movie. Uh, and let's talk about uh, some of the new planets we got to see in this movie. Um, Camino and Geonosis uh, are the new the new uh, planets that we get to explore here. Um, and we get some big action sequences on both of those planets. The other uh, big action sequence, I guess, would be that uh, that scene at the beginning in Coruscant where they're they're flying over Coruscant and uh, the assassin that has been sent by Jango Fett has tried to kill Padme. Jay, we'll go to you again. Uh, what did you think about these new planets um, that we got to experience in some of the action sequences that we see on these planets? So a quick note on the first action sequence, the you know assassination attempt. I think, Adam, which of you said last week that as far as these movies go, like Phantom Menace's start was pretty slow compared to the others. And I remember kind of, you know, it's like sitting back in my chair getting ready to start this movie and, you know, a couple minutes in this happens and I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, we're, we're kicking off fast. Um, and, you know, as short-lived as that sequence was on Coruscant, like I, you know, appreciated it, if nothing else. Um, you know, how quickly it just kicked things off. Moving on to the new well, planets. Oh, sorry. Well, no, no, I think that you. So you're talking about the very opening scene, but I think Scott was talking about the actual chase scene, or like the actual car chase scene after the oh, second assassination attempt. Right. Yeah. With like the hovercraft and all that. Yes. Yeah. That got you. Um, I mean, that was pretty cool too. I mean, I think that's. I mean, the the thing I remember from that uh, to bring up something you mentioned earlier with some of the you know the jokes that get kind of thrown around i mean even anakin you know saying something like you know oh it took me long to find a i forget the name of the hover car you'll forgive me um you know with the right speed and all that and i hate flying and all that you know it was uh you know a little pithy kind of funny and nothing really else of note i guess now going on to the new planets uh camino i thought like you uh like you said i thought it was pretty cool you know it, it definitely you know had the the mystery of it built up very well in my opinion. And then when we got there, it was like, Oh yeah, like this seems like the kind of planet that might, you know, kind of just disappear from the eye and look at all this cool stuff. And why are we building a clone army? And this never seems like it could end well, but you know, we're kind of building up on that. I mean, I, you know, really enjoyed kind of, you know, diving into the intrigue and the mystery and, you know, even the fact that it was dark and rainy, like, you know, like details like that, you know, just add to it and, you know, make it seem, I mean, make it worth my intrigue, I'll say. Um, 
Geonosis, I don't remember much else other than being a super rocky planet in terms of, you know, like what we got to see on the world. Obviously, you know, the scene in the arena, the Coliseum type thing I thought was really cool. I don't know if this is a common occurrence to, you know, sentence people to death matches out there. Um, but if nothing else, you know, I, I found that pretty interesting to look at and kind of wonder, oh, like, you know, how often do they gather to see people like fight these? Again, the diehards will have to forgive me because I don't know the names of all the creatures that were out there fighting. But, you know, how often do they get together to do stuff like this? Oh, you're talking about the actual monsters. Oh, yes, I don't the think, actual I don't monsters. Know, are they given names? They probably do. I'm sure Alex Damon uh, has the names. Yeah, every, everything has a name. But, I mean, I, I certainly don't know it either. But yeah, I mean, to piggyback on your comment about Camino as well, I think, yeah, definitely the dark exterior gives you a, a mysterious vibe, but also that contrasted against like when you go inside the facility and it's like really clean and polished and all this stuff. And, um, you know, the fact that this planet was basically wiped off of the galactic map that was in the in the Jedi archives in Coruscant, you know, really makes you think well, here's this like super nice facility, like in the middle of nowhere, like what is someone trying to cover up? Like what, what is, what is someone trying to hide? What's really going on here? And I think that also adds to, uh, you know, part of the intrigue of that. So yeah, I agree. I think Camino is a great new addition. Geonosis for me doesn't really make much of an impact. I mean, the arena scene is cool, but you know, I don't think that that's like, that really highlights the planet of Geonosis that much like that, that scene could have taken place on a lot of other planets. I could have, I, like I could have just as easily seen that scene taking place on Tatooine, for example. Um, so I don't think it makes that much of an impact And well, I won't say more about um, the future, but Scott, do you have anything to add? Were you going to make some joke about Jakku or something? Well, no, I was just going to say that Geonosis doesn't really factor into the future of the future movie, which isn't really that much of a spoiler, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I actually think to go to wind all the way back, I actually thought the hovercraft chase scene was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, sorry, I, I should have said that too. I think that's actually my favorite action sequence, but go ahead. Yeah. I was. Gonna, I think that that sequence might be just a little bit too long, but other than that, it's very different than any other kind of action sequence you get in the majority of star Wars movies, you know, with, you know, one or two exceptions. Um, I, I think it was just a cool scene, maybe a little bit too extended, but I actually quite like, the, in this at this point in the movie, I wasn't yet tired of Hayden Christensen's stick and or shtick, and so I thought that his dynamic there in this scene with Obi Wan was quite funny. You know, as the you know tireless pupil, you know, makes them <laughs> makes the master quite weary, and I think that was a it was a funny it was a funny little dynamic there. I do think that going on to the other sequences, Camino is I think the standout setting for the for the plant for this movie period. Uh, I'm a, maybe a little bit more positive on Geonosis. I think that the factory setting, although again, maybe not specific to Geonosis, but the fact that the factory is there, I think that's a really cool setting as well. And, I, and I, again, I understand that that isn't, you could have that factory on any planet, yeah. like literally any of the planets, because it's a factory. But I think it, it sets a tone really well for the planet. And then I think that if you take out the Coliseum, because I agree with what you said, Scott, about it, it also being able to take place on any planet, the actual chase scene across Geonosis, I think when you combine that with the factory, I think that does create a somewhat unique setting uh, of Geonosis, even if we will probably not see it again. It's definitely not the most unique and it's not the standout because I do think Camino is that way. I still liked it, I guess. And and one of the things about just speaking at a high level about the action sequences is that I think put together completely, I think that this movie might have the most, the most, uh, the most to offer in terms of action sequences. We'll see. Uh, my memory is a little bit fuzzy to be frank about Revenge of the Sith. 
here. So episode three coming up the next one, we'll see if, if that holds up. But I think Attack of the Clones for all of its faults, its action sequences when you when you combine them all together, I think might be you know one of the one of the best movies for action sequences in in the Star Wars franchise. We'll see if that holds up over the course of the next you know seven eight or eight episodes. But I think that all the action sequences really struck a chord for me. I think that even the one on Kamina, even after such an interesting you know world exploration from a Kamina perspective, the the scene between Boba Fett and Obi Wan, I think that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Maybe it ends kind of abruptly with just them flying away. But I think it's a cool it's a cool example of combat that's not, you know, it's not lightsaber on lightsaber and it's not a lightsaber just destroying whoever it is that, you know, it, it, uh, a Jedi just destroying whoever it was they're fighting who didn't have a lightsaber. You know, Boba, or Jango Fett is clearly someone who is a bounty hunter. He has skills. And I think I, I think that's cool that you get to see that in, in this setting. Uh, and then the brief chase scene that, you know, after Obi-Wan follows him to the uh, to the I guess the atmosphere of Genosis and they have this little. Uh, flight through the asteroid field. I think there's just a lot on offer here in terms of action sequences, and you may have a hard time beating it in any other one movie. Yeah, no, I think to to circle back, I do think that hovercraft scene is really strong. Um, I like the whole setting over Coruscant with all the other cars and everything whizzing by, so they're having to dodge Mm -hmm. all of that in addition to, you know, keeping up with this this one assassin and then, you know, the scene being punctuated with the assassin, you know, getting killed. Uh, by a, a dart, uh, right as she's about to reveal the name of her, uh, you know, her, who hired her, who Employer. hired her, yeah, and uh, and her face like dissolving or whatever into something super creepy. Um, well, it's because she's a changeling; she's not yeah, a human. She yeah. she had morphed into a human, someone who appears to be human. Um, but so I, I I like that a lot as far as the action sequences. Again, with with Geonosis, like. I feel like I, I did get a little tired by the time we got there, but do we want to say anything about the, uh, the lightsaber battle at the end um, between Count Dooku, yeah. uh, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan factor in a little bit. And then of course Yoda shows up to kind of save the day. Sure. I thought my, my immediate thought was that the fight with Obi-Wan and Anakin just seemed a little short. Um, I mean, Obi-Wan, I mean, so Anakin, what gets uh, put aside for a minute, Obi-Wan comes in, has a quick fight with him. Then Anakin comes in, you know, I I don't know. Like, I mean, they definitely had cool moments and I was like, you know, like, Oh, like this is, you know, the mechanics of this, I guess, like look, you know, alluring. And then, you know, they, they, they kind of ended quickly, but then Yoda showed up. And like you said earlier, you know, the, the fact that I, we got to see Yoda kind of just go in and, you know, he's small and just kind of bouncing around. Like, I, I thought that was really cool. I was actually like smiling pretty big at that. You know, again, this not, this being, you know, I guess my second big, like, you know, climactic lightsaber battle, um, I was a little bit confused by the fact that he didn't throw that, you know, silo thing that was about to fall on Obi-Wan just into the ship that Dooku was escaping on to kind of kill two birds with one stone there. But, you know, to, to each his own <laughs> in terms of the actual like visuals of the fight, though, like, you know, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought, you know, I was just to compare it to the other one that Phantom Menaces might have been a little bit better. But, you know, I definitely like, you know, seeing Yoda. Yeah, I, I definitely think Phantom Menaces is better, but I, I mean, I do think there are some good moments. And yeah, I think it might be, it's, it is quick what happens, but I also think that's just because Dooku is so much more powerful than either of them. You know, even Obi-Wan as the master hasn't really developed uh, to the point that Dooku has, you know, with, I guess, his Jedi powers still, and, and but also, you know, what he's been able to tap into since becoming a Sith Lord. And, uh, you know, he, he's obviously very overconfident when Yoda... Uh, 
comes in that he can actually hold his own with Yoda, who obviously is is the most powerful Jedi. Um, and of course, he can't. And one one of the moment one of the small moments that I like is when he tries to do the force lightning and Yoda just kind of like sucks it into his hand. Like that's not really something that uh, I'd see, you know, you see very often in the, in the star Wars uh, movie. So I thought that that was kind of cool uh, the way he was just able to, to absorb all of Dooku's attacks. And uh, the fact that Dooku still kept trying to throw things at him uh, with using the force, even though Yoda was just like very easily, I mean like Yoda doesn't even look like he's really exerting very much energy and like, throwing away these things that Dooku is trying to launch at him. But uh, Dooku, you know, very determined. He was going to just tear down the entire facility uh, if it meant landing one blow on Yoda, which, of course, he can't do. Uh, but, Scott, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, I already talked about how Yoda is a standout performance in, the, in this particular uh, movie, which I understand. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't remember who. I mean, it's all CG, right? So I don't know if that counts as a standout performance. But I just think that this that's because of this final duel, right? I know I mentioned it already, so... Don't want to dwell on it much longer since I've talked about it already, but it's a it's a standout uh, duel. I will say that I think that the I hear what Jay's saying about the first part of the of the fight with Anakin and Obi Wan and Count Dooku is short, and it feels a bit off putting to have someone of the age of Christopher Lee be so much faster and or more powerful than you know someone like Ewan McGregor who is you know, theoretically in his prime, Obi Wan in his prime, but. Yeah, that's how that's how that's how the force works. It's how the lightsaber battles work. When you know the older you are, sometimes the better you are. Um, but I, one of the things that I had, the only problem really that I had, as as much as well, I guess two things. One which isn't a problem. One I think that I, I liked, even if I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when I saw it, was the fact when the lights go out in the uh, in in the facility, and and it's just Anakin and and Count Dooku at that point. There's this imagery that won't be the last time you see the blue versus red in a blackout scene. I thought that that imagery was cool. It's a nice callback, obviously, since these were released after the original trilogy. There's a couple moments in the original trilogy that uh, really use that imagery to good effect. But then the thing, the one thing that I problem that I did have was that it felt like Anakin was just like holding out his arm for it to be chopped off in the yeah. scene at the, at the end of the battle. That there's no reason why he should have lost his arm. I thought that it could, probably could have been a better constructed fight for that end result to have happened. But maybe. And again, like it's another one of those moments that it's like, okay, he was pretty like wise for his age at nine years old. You, You combine that with the fact that he's had 10 years of Jedi training since then. And yet he still thinks it's a good decision to just go running straight at Count Dooku, this, you know, much older and more powerful Jedi. Uh, and that he's going to be able to just, you know, tear him apart that way. I mean, he was asking for it, and not just because he he held his arm out to get it chopped off. It's it just kind of is boggles the mind. I mean, that's probably fair. And Jay was talking about the vi- the visuals that looked really good in this final scene, and that's actually one of the things that I don't know of a better place to talk about it than right now. I think the visuals in this movie for a movie from two thousand two are amazing, like for the most part. Yeah, you know, I talked about how I thought there are good chunks of episode one where the visuals were great, and then some portions where it was really really bad. And this movie, I think 90% of it actually looks really good. I think the Force Lightning's a bit iffy. And I don't think that they ever really figured that out at any point in the Star Wars series about making the Force Lightning look good. But this one in particular, I think even Coruscant, when there's just so much going on because there's so much stuff, the stuff in the foreground, at least, I mean, looks spectacular. I think that things on Geonosis look great. Things on Naboo look great. Things on, I mean, Kamino is gorgeous. I just think that the visuals of this movie are outstanding, and especially when you think that it was, you know, 17 years ago now. Yeah, I really agree. And if you come, 
compare it to even another movie from the same year, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, like it blows it out of the water. Like I, I just love that Spider-Man movie, but like the visuals in that movie have not aged well. And honestly watching, if you were to watch the two back to back, you know, it would probably be a bit amazing to, to learn that both movies came out in the same year, just because I think Star Wars definitely does look a lot better. Yeah. I actually think maybe they didn't have a VFX Academy award at that time. They probably didn't, but um, I know that it won at least one award from the visual effects society that year. Cause I was looking it up online after, cause I was just so amazed by the, by the visuals of it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's move on to, before we do our wrap up, uh, do we want to say anything about the plot? Jay, I'm curious to know if maybe you have any thoughts on things that uh, you were looking to see followed through on from the Phantom Menace, or maybe where you think the plot is going to go from here uh, in into Revenge of the Sith with, with some of the, the things that went on uh, in Attack of the Clones. Um, any thoughts there? Sure. So <clears throat> just... I mean, so we, you know, got to see, and I think his, his name was actually dropped this time, you know, Darth Sidious kind of showed up again at the end, you know, Duke was working for him, and I don't, I don't think he ever actually lifted up his hood, but you kind of see, like, the bottom half of his face, and, you know, that visual, coupled with the fact that, you know, Palpatine just became Supreme Chancellor, I mean, not rather, Supreme Chancellor, and now he's also, you know, in charge of this crazy army and has all this power, thanks to Jar Jar, which, you know, going to blow past that. You know, all that also coupled with his interaction with Anakin at the beginning, you know, where he, you know, is kind of just, it feels like, you know, kind of fueling his ego a little bit and just, you know, it, it almost feels like you're getting to a point of like, you know, why are you taking orders from them? Like, it really should be you. Like, you know, you're going to be the wisest and the strongest in all the land, you know? And like, I can, I feel like that's kind of where this is headed. Um you know, again, not really knowing much other than the fact that Anakin, you know, is going to, you know, become a Sith Lord at some point, I think, and got, got to see a little bit more of that, which was nice, you know, didn't really get to see Anakin slowly devolve into becoming a brat. He just, you know, was one out the gate. I have no real sense of where I think, you know, his like big drop off moment is going to be. But if I had to guess, you know, it'll probably have something to do with Padme. I don't know if, you know, a Jedi will like accidentally like kill her trying to save her and then he'll go all evil against the Jedi because of that or something else. But, you know, it, it feels like that, you know, she might be his like last, like either the thing that, like, you know, pushes him overboard because she dies or he goes overboard trying to save her, like whatever it's going to be, it feels like it'll be because of her. And I'm, I'm glad you have such great faith in the Star Wars franchise to commit the crime of fridging. I also just love that you haven't seen these movies. I love that you. I know it's, it like, it's amazing. It's awesome to to be a part of this. <laughs> I I'm glad I could be there for you. Uh, no, I, I think fridging is you know going to be a, a big part of this. I mean, it, it just seems like it's the way it's being played up, you know. Well, and to that point, you know, I, I think I can't believe she stuck with him after you know he kind of went on that killing spree and came back and was raging at her. And maybe it's because she couldn't take him seriously in the same way we couldn't take him seriously. I don't know. But to me, any rational, sane, level-headed person should have run the other way after that. But they end up getting married. And, you know, this this just screams disaster. I mean, you got to admit, though, Natalie Portman's Padme is, like, pretty badass in that Coliseum scene. Oh, 100%. I thought she was great. And that's why I'm all the more sad that she's ending up with him. I like when she's on top on top of the thing or whatever, and and Obi Wan's like, "Well, now someone's on top of things or whatever it is." He says, "You know, some dumb joke." 
<laughs> Sounds right. Sounds yeah, like I, an Obi-Wan joke. I, I, I struggle to say much in response to your comments there, Jay, just because I don't want to spoil anything. But I, I echo Scott's sentiment that it, it is interesting to hear the thoughts uh, of someone who, uh, you know, has not seen any of these movies or, or doesn't really know that much about them. Because I think I have often wondered about certain moments in uh, the series. Uh, I mean, you know, so much there, there's so much of the story that I already knew going into the movies um, before having even seen the movies. Uh, so so I have often wondered, you know, what would it be like watching this movie, learning nothing and knowing nothing about it? Yeah, I mean, Scott Shelton can attest to this. I was texting him at the beginning of my first viewing, you know, with lines that I was like, okay, like this has to be foreshadowing and maybe not, you know, mm. some of which were, you know, Anakin saying, I think Palpatine is a good man. Like, you know, okay, confirmed he's evil. And then, you know, when he says he thinks he already rivals Yoda in lightsaber form and Obi-Wan responds, you know, only in your mind. I'm like, okay, like there's going to be a fight between those two when he turns evil. And Big then Obi-Wan flag. telling Anakin, you know, why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? I'm sitting here like, oh my God, like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Um, and again, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, my roommate who, you know, tried to do a good job of not spoiling anything for me asked me if I've seen, you know, any of Anakin's scenes like later, you know, after he becomes a Sith Lord, anything, any fights at all. And I'm just like, no. Well, and, and he's, I mean, sure. I mean, I told him that was the only thing I thought I knew. And he was like, really? Like, you don't know anything? I mean, there's this one scene, it's so ingrained in pop culture. And I'm like, stop talking. Like, I really don't know. Well, and I'll just say, if he, if you don't know about that scene, when we get to that scene, if you if you're not familiar with that scene, my mind will truly be blown. <laughs> Again, I don't even know which scene you mean. Yeah. Also, that scene that I think we're both thinking of is it. It's going to be a shame because it won't have the same impact watching the prequel trilogy first. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the things we're sacrificing doing the prequel. Right, because first. because then you actually yeah okay I, I see what you're saying. So it it won't be, but it still would be mind blowing if you're not familiar with it. But uh, we'll leave it at that for now. Anything else we want to say before we move into the our wrap up questions? Yeah, I do. I do want to say one other thing because I we're talking about the plot and and obviously some of these were predictions that Jay was throwing out for Revenge of the Sith. But I think that the the plot here, I just want to emphasize that it's pretty egregious uh, in some aspects. Literally, like you talk about even even the things that are good from the plot, right? You talk about this whole mystery of why they why the the clones are being made for this um, Jedi Master who had been dead a, for like a decade. And I think that there are these little things, things like, all right, who took Kamino out of the Jedi archives and they're no longer available. Like these are questions that, you know, maybe once you watch the whole series, you can, you can tarry a guess at, but legitimately just like aren't given any answers and are just completely forgotten about after the first time they're mentioned. And that's really frustrating because especially with the Kamino point about that with the Jedi master, like they keep going back to that as if it was important, as if we're going to find an answer to this question about who's impersonating them. And we don't, and it's just left for the final 45 minutes. As awesome as those last 45 minutes are, I think it, the, I think maybe George Lucas just realized that he didn't have a very good play. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to do something cool with the last 45 minutes instead of doing something interesting. I mean, do we know when Camino was erased? Was it possible that Count Dooku was the one who did it? It's possible. I mean, we don't know when Count Dooku left. Yeah. Well, that's why I say, do we, do we really know? But I, I don't know. Like, I agree that they don't, they don't close the loop on that at all. But I suspect that Count Dooku doesn't have anything to do okay. with the clone army, though, because he's leading the 
droid army. Well, I wonder what what if what about was it the guy who was the guy that they expected on on uh, Camino, the Jedi Master? Oh, Sifo Diaz, Master Sifo Diaz. Could he have had something to do with it? I don't know. But he's the one who's dead a decade ago. But could it have been deleted that long ago? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's possible. The point is that we don't have any of these answers, yeah. and I think that it's an injustice to not have gotten answers to some of these questions in the movie. On that point, I will say I love the Jedi librarian who just like really puts Obi-Wan in his place. If the planet is not in our system, it does not exist. Like really just shuts him down, um, which was kind of funny. I can't remember what her well, name is. It's also like the, the blazing arrogance of like, well, if we don't know about yeah. it, it's not real. I can't remember what um, her name is, but she does have a name somewhere online on Wiki, on Wikipedia somewhere. Um, <laughs> Wikipedia. I, I think that I'll, I really wanted that to be that line to be delivered by like Tilda Swinton or something. Actually, I believe Jocasta Sim. I think that's her name. Um, you can call me on my bluff if that's that's wrong, but um, Jocasta, I believe, is the librarian. But anyway, uh, we've gotten off track. Uh, why don't we uh, move into our wrap-up phase now, and we'll start with our first question. Who is your MVP for this movie, your favorite character? Uh, we'll go to Jay first. Sure, I'll take the easy answer again. Um, I'll take Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. You know, uh, I already kind of heaped some praise on him earlier, and just to succinctly recap it, you know, I, I like feeling like, you know, he's grown a little bit. I like, you know, his sense of humor. And I like just, you know, how like in his ways and like flushed out he feels, you know, even having, you know, grown a little bit from the last movie and his, you know, dynamic with Anakin in the beginning, you know, and his just, you know, commitment to his mission, you know, just plays really well with me. I think that's an excellent choice, Scott. Uh, who's your MVP? Scott, you were so close. It's Jocasta New, not Jocasta Sim. Jocasta New, Yeah. So big fail there. I'm kidding. That was amazing that you even knew Jocasta. Anyway, I think the MVP, I mean, if I had to pick a person, it'd be Yoda. If I had to pick just something about the movie, I think it would be the action sequences. Because like I said, I think start to finish the action sequences are all really strong and put together better than maybe any other movie in the Star Wars franchise. But if I have to pick a person, it's Yoda. All right. Well, I'm going to go really outside the box then, since I think y'all have taken the two obvious ones. Uh, I'm going to say it's a tie between Jocasta New and uh, Dex, the the uh, the guy who runs like the the restaurant or whatever, who's the old friend of Obi Wan. I'm glad you um, mentioned Dex. I think he's one of the best character, like one of the best characters that we only get a brief glimpse of in the entire franchise. Yes, yeah. I think that's proof that you could do a Jar Jar like character mm-hmm. without it being incredibly annoying and obnoxious. I agree. So, hundred percent. Shout out to Dex. Shout out to Jocasta New. Best characters in this. Uh, pretty poor movie um okay jay uh favorite scene or moment favorite scene or moment um we'll go ahead and say it's the beginning of the coliseum scene um you know when the three of them were kind of just tied up and you know natalie portman pat natalie portman's padme you know kind of like gets her way out climbs to the top and they all just start fighting and the jedi come in you know I'll, i'll say the beginning of that you know to the point where i guess like you know up to when the clone army shows up and including a little bit of that i think to me it was you know the most exciting part of the movie scott how about you i have to say that the the best moment for me is probably when they pan up at the end of the title crawl instead of down really loved that change up there (laughs) no i'm kidding um one of the things that i really like i mean i talked about the lightsaber duel between yoda and count dooku but i think for me my favorite scene just has to be experiencing Kamino for the first time with Obi-Wan. It's a very rare, I think, in the Star Wars franchise 
where you're experiencing something for the first time with a character and the treat of getting to be able to both understand and feel Obi-Wan's, you know, quest for knowledge and Camino. I think that that is, it's an experience that's really cool. Uh, obviously, the only frustrating part being that that scene is not completely just one, sh- like one scene strung together, rather that it's interwoven with this, whatever the hell is happening on Naboo. Yes, the uh, the picnic, the wonderful picnic. The picnic. Um, great first date stuff there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, those are definitely some standout moments for me. I will say, if uh, if to highlight one more moment that um, maybe a moment that almost rescues the romance. Well, I won't say almost because there's so much bad stuff that comes before it. But right before they're they're um, carted out into the arena and. Uh, Padme, you know, has finally admitted uh, that she loves Anakin again. We don't really understand why, but she says something like, you know, I don't want to die without you to, to know without you knowing or something. And it's just one of those moments where Natalie Portman, like the fact that she is a talented actress, is very talented, is able to overcome uh, the underwhelming material. And I think I, I felt in that moment probably what I should have been feeling the whole time at this romance. Um you know, and and part of that too is knowing what is to come in the Star Wars franchise. But um, I think we we ride on the romance so much, and for good reason. That I do want to highlight that one moment, which at least worked for me. All right, let's uh, let's put a score on it. Um, Jay, what would you give this movie out of ten? It's tough, guys. Um, it's really tough, but I think I'm gonna go ahead and give it a seven point one out of ten. Oh my god! I know, right? <laughs> I I have a feeling I was going to upset some shit. people with this one. But what was your Phantom Menace score? Seven point two. Okay, all right. Well, at least you had it lower. <laughs> um, okay, Scott, over to you. I'm just shook by that. Oh my god! But I, I mean, I'm glad uh, you're enjoying the movies. Like you know, I am. I think you both just want me to take both scores and maybe drop them a full point. But I'm trying not to renege no, on Scott, any. Scott's very happy with your 7.2 for episode yeah, one. Very happy. I don't think he has any problem with that. I mean, I'm trying not to renege on any scores here, so I'm gonna try to keep it relative without, you know, going completely off the rails. But I mean you'll remember Scott when we did our Marvel countdown, my Iron Man one score had to be amended after a certain point, and I'm trying not to do that this time. So I don't think you have to worry so much about I mean, this is just my personal philosophy on scores that like I like some movies that are like not. I wouldn't score as high as other movies. I think that's totally fine. I don't. I don't. I don't think that. I, I have less dissidence over the fact that with one score is, you know, higher than another. And, and yeah, those I think we're learning that J scale starts a little bit higher than zero. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Scott. What's your number? maybe? Yeah. I'm giving it a four point eight. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a four point one. Um, really disappointed this time around that i i didn't enjoy this movie more um but you know it, it like i said up top every star wars movie has its highlights and the highlights are there you have to dig a little bit harder you have to dig in in terms of your patience uh because just knowing that that george lucas is gonna do what he can to try and sap some of the energy out of these mo- moments but uh th- those highlights are there yeah, I mean that's one of the things about this film is that I I I think we legitimately drag some stuff through you know over the coals in this film, but there are components of it you know the world that he builds. I think that the the world with Camino with even with Coruscant and also with Geonosis for me. I know maybe you guys feel a little bit cooler on Geonosis, 
But I, I think that that's amazing. I think the action sequences are great. And I think that you see this in this film especially. And I think that you've, uh, in this film in particular with George Lucas directing it. And I think that this is also true of some movies that I've seen from James Cameron recently, I think, although I think to a lesser extent, that like someone needs to like, like George Lucas is amazing at developing concepts for things. I think you see that in the planets that they develop in the scenes. And then you see that with like maybe some general you know, structure of characters, not the arcs themselves, maybe. I think Obi-Wan might be the exception. But you see the this kind of world built by these people with an obviously incredible, you know, creative thinking and, and ability to construct, you know, and imagine things. But someone just needs to, like, slap the shit out of them and, like, take the pen out of their hand for, like, the script and the narrative. Because, and I really do believe this, like, both James Cameron's most recent movies and George Lucas's, you know, prequel trilogy would have been so much better served if they provided the concept for everything and maybe even like consulted on the story itself. But just like someone else directing the movies could have, could have really gotten more out of, you know, some of these characters and some of these actors. Yeah, I agree. But, but at the same time, you know, like you're saying the, the creativity um, and the world building and all of that, I mean, that's what has allowed star Wars to endure as long as it has. I mean, I think that, you know, you you think about the fact that this movie has an entire that this this series has an entire trilogy that people don't really like. And yet Star Wars has never waned in popularity, really, um, despite going through this phase where, where people weren't really enjoying the movies. And that's because there is, are still things to love about every movie. And there is that creativity and and imagination that um, elevates it above weaker franchises, even in the worst movies. Because I think that's one of the things, right? Like, if you want to create a franchise that people keep coming back to, we'll leave aside for a second whether or not the movies are, like, well-reviewed or whatnot. And I think maybe the dynamics have changed a little bit more recently. Uh, and I think you could provide some examples of that. But I think one of the one of the things that you absolutely have to need, regardless of how good your acting is, you just have to have a world that's interesting, right? And I think that that George Lucas is able, is able to do that really well. I mean, you know, we talked at length both on and off air about Alita Battle Angel with James Cameron earlier this year. Like, yeah, maybe the acting's not all, not all that great in some point. Maybe the certain, you know, beats of the narrative aren't all that great, but the world is fascinating. And the, and the entire concept of it is brilliant, which is why I think it ultimately still was, you know, maybe it wasn't successful by its own standards, but, you know, made, you know, made almost half a billion at the box office. And why I, you know, even though I was a little bit lukewarm on the movie, like still want, uh, you know, a sequel to it. And I think that that, is true for the Star Wars universe in particular. You know, you may, yes, the maybe maybe it rides the the fandom of the original trilogy and where that went. You know, over the decade and a half or two decades or whatever it was, where Star Wars wasn't really existing. But I think that the fact that it endured beyond these movies and in, and into the sequel trilogy now, and obviously the spinoff show and all the books that read because the world is is so rich. The world is so rich and so interesting. Um, and not even Hayden Christensen can ruin that, even though he may have tried. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on Alita. Uh, unfortunately I don't think we're ever going to get that sequel. Uh, however, a sequel that we will get is star Wars episode three, revenge of the Sith, uh, which we will be discussing next time, uh, on the star Wars countdown. That does it for this episode discussing star Wars episode two attack of the clones. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed it, and, and we hope you will be back uh, for that Revenge of the Sith episode. Uh, we also hope that you'll check out our other podcast here in this very same feed, the Some Like It Scott feed, uh, Some Like It Scott, Champ's Lunch, uh, all that jazz. Uh, we're putting out new episodes every week, so 
keep your eyes fixed on on the podcast feed for those new episodes. And of course, don't forget about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Uh, if you want to support us over there so that we can keep putting out this content, uh, that would be great. But nevertheless, we hope you will be back for our next episode of this podcast and our next episode of the other podcasts. Uh, but until then, uh, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Music